You know, friends, I am, I cannot even begin to put into words just the sense of expectancy that I have in regards to what God is able to accomplish in your life and mine as uh, we, over the course of these next few weeks, just look at uh, what God is able to accomplish in our life. You see, a lot of times, and, you know, I have these conversations all of the time, quite honestly, uh, you come into a new year, as we have done, and I've had this conversation uh, myriads of times, even in this year so far in the first few days, and all of us have this sense, I imagine you do as well, I do, that uh, there's changes that I know that God wants to make in my life. And I want to be cooperative with those changes. I want to grow. I look at some areas of my own life, and I feel like, you know what, God, you are really, really helping me in those areas of my life. And then I see other areas where I'm like holding back from God or maybe not being fully obedient to God. And I just say, you know what, I want to change. I want to change. And I know that God wants to bring about that change in you and in me. In fact, I've had those kind of conversations. I've heard it again and again, people saying, you know, that's me. I want to grow this year. I want to change. I want to become more like Jesus. I want to be his follower. Now, I want to live like the authentic life of what a disciple of Jesus really means. And I've had all those kind of conversations. The only person that I have not yet heard say that they need to change is my grandmother. She's the everybody else but my grandmother. And I want to just say that my grandmother is a godly, godly woman. And when I look about her life and her testimony all these years, uh, she's a godly woman, but uh, she hasn't mentioned this change that she needs to make. But I have observed a change because, you know, as long as I've known my grandmother, she has this habit of taking from restaurants unused uh, packets of ketchup and jelly and Chick-fil-A sauce and takes them, puts them in a refrigerator. And, I've, you know, I, I know she's probably going to have to stand before God one day for doing that, but, but I don't think it's going to keep her out of heaven. How many of you would agree with that? How, how many of you know that if, if having extra taking home uh, ketchup and jelly and Chick-fil-A sauce and put it in, in your refrigerator, how many of you know if, if that keeps you out of heaven, then we're all in big trouble. Would you agree? I know I, know I am. But we want to change. Everyone else that I know, including you and me, we just say, hey, there's some differences that I want to see occur in my life. But yet, I so often hear people say, but I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get started. I feel stuck. I'm not quite sure how I, I got here, but I'm really not sure as to how I'm going to get out. And maybe you look at your life right now and you just say, you know, there's some things in my life that I don't really like. There's some things in my life that I'm doing that I know I should not do, that I really don't want to do. Maybe some of you, it's even beyond that now, and you say, I don't, I don't really like me. I don't like who I am. I don't like what I'm doing. And, and you know what, friends, I talk to people all of the time that that is a struggle and they feel stuck. And that's why I'm so excited about this opportunity that God has set before us to just week by week, starting today, and then next Sunday, sort of a second step, and then the Sunday after that. And I'm just saying to you, whatever you do, do not miss a single Sunday in the month of January. You see, when you and I look at our lives, the truth is all of us, we like options. We like opportunities. We like openings toward a much better, more fulfilled life. Nobody wants to experience the frustration of saying, 
I'm stuck, and I don't know what to do about it. Uh, I can remember, and I told this in the 930 service, I can remember many, many years ago because our boys were very small at the time, and we lived in another city, and, and they had gone to spend the night with some friends one Friday night. So the next day, we go and pick them up, and uh, these friends of ours that our kids were staying with their kids, uh, they lived on a dirt road. Now, they said it was a dirt road, but let me give you a, a more clear picture. It was a sandy road. In fact, when you think about this road, think beach. Think driving on the beach because that is what it's like. And so we turned off of this paved road, and we're going down this dirt slash sandy road. And we visit with our friends for a while, and then the boys uh, get in the car with us. And it was actually a car that we had bought before we had kids. So it's a little two-door Toyota. And we get back out of their yard onto this sandy road. And we're driving along. And we got, I mean, stuck. Big time stuck. Now, how many of you have ever had this experience where, where you got stuck and then you wanted to get unstuck, so you tried to help yourself, and maybe you stepped on the gas pedal a little bit harder. I mean, just trying to get out. And we do that. Have you ever noticed this with a remote control? Have you ever done this when the battery's getting weak, you squeeze the button a little harder, like that's going to cause the battery to get, you know, better or juice it up? So I'm just like standing on the gas, and by the time I'm, I'm finished with that, not only are we stuck, at this point, we're severely stuck. And our neighbor heard, and so uh, she came out, and, and her husband actually wasn't at home at the time, so she saw the four of us sitting in the car, and she said, oh, man, and she, she called her neighbor who lived next door. Now, let me give you a picture of this as well. When I say next door, her next door neighbor, it, it's not like lot lines where you could stick your arm out of your bedroom window and scratch your neighbor's house. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like a, an acre or two or more separating their house from her neighbor's house. And so she called her neighbor up, and uh, I see this guy come, big old truck, and he parts that big truck in front of our small little Toyota, and he hooks a rope up to the back of his truck in the front of our car, and uh, man, he pulls us out. I feel so grateful. We're unstuck, and I sort of wave, and, and he is a nice guy. When he came out, he's like smiling, and hello, and hey, I'll get you out of here, and, and all of that, and so we're like, okay, this is great. We're going home now, and so we start out again. I'm almost embarrassed. to tell. In fact, I'm totally embarrassed to tell you this. Before we got to the end of the road, we were stuck again. I mean, we were stuck again. And so our same friend called her same neighbor. And, and I just, I noticed this. I'm, I, I can't discern a lot of stuff, but generally speaking, I can read people's body language pretty well. And I noticed that when he came out the second time with his big truck, it wasn't like hellos. It wasn't like all these smiles. In, in fact, he wasn't, he didn't seem as friendly. In fact, I think I heard some cussing. And uh, he got us out, and I drove like crazy because I, I'm like, if I get stuck a third time, I'm, I'm, I'm not calling. I'll call a record service. There's no way I'm going to go through this again. But, but kidding aside, I mean, we have those kind of experiences and the frustration, but that's all temporary. But a lot of times we feel this in our lives in a more dangerous form, this feeling of being stuck. 
It's a feeling, and many of you know what it's like because it's what's occurring in your life right now. It's this feeling that we, we cannot escape our problems or our habits or our hang-ups. We cannot uh, dislodge ourselves from some of the behavioral patterns that we have in our life. We can't break free from some of the addictions that we have in our lives. I want you to take a look. This is something that Jesus said. This is uh, found in John's Gospel, chapter 8. I want you to look at verse 34. and Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, I am telling you the truth. Read the rest of this with me, everybody now. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. That is not freedom. That is not the life that God intends for you. That is not the life that God wants for you or for me. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. But you know what? This this runs contrary to our normal way of thinking. Because you know what our normal way of thinking is? And all of us have been there at some point. Maybe it's where you're at right now. Where we think, you know, I want freedom. And the way for me to have freedom is to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I Just freedom. I don't have any restrictions, any barriers on my life. I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want. And you know what Jesus would say about that? Jesus would say, you may think that that is freedom. That may be your notion of thought. It may be the way that a lot of people think. But that kind of life is not going to lead toward true legitimate freedom. In fact, what that will do is that will cause you to increasingly become more and more enslaved. And slavery, Jesus would say this again and again, slavery leads to death. Everyone, this is what Jesus said, Everyone who sins is a slave of sin, and that is not a picture, friends, of freedom. Now, you go down just two uh, verses later from there, uh, same chapter, two verses later, verse 36, and and you'll see this up on the screen. In in fact, read this verse with me, everybody, 100%, let's read it together. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if the Son sets you free, that's, that's when you're really going to know freedom. If the Son sets you free, Jesus said. That's him. He's saying, hey, if the Son, he's talking about himself, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Uh, I can't remember if, uh, you know exactly how the story went, but it, the essence of it was some, uh, something like this. And I heard it a long, long time ago. And when I read it, I, I couldn't help but chuckle because it, it said this. It said, if you, if you want to lose your job, and I don't think that there's any body here who wants to lose your job. But if you did, uh, tell your boss exactly what you think, and the truth will set you free. Think about that for a moment. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He said, if the Son sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. And that is exactly, listen, friends, it's so important. That is exactly what Jesus did, and it is exactly what Jesus does again and again today. I mean, when you think about it, we know this, that God sent Jesus into the world, but when he sent Jesus into the world, he sent him with this astonishing power to help people to become unstuck. And we see it when we read in the life and ministry of Jesus. We just sort of read through the Gospels, you know, in the first part of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see this occurring again and again. We see it occur in the life of a guy, a tax collector, actually by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a slave to greed, and Jesus came along, and Jesus set him free from that. We see it happen in the life of a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus who was trapped in his own self-righteousness. 
It actually occurred in the life of a guy who wrote over half the New Testament, a guy who later became named Paul, but before that was Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting Christians. And what did Jesus do? Jesus actually set Saul of Tarsus free from this ensnarement that he had, this anger, where he just had so much hate. And Jesus said, you know what? If the Son sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. There's another story in the Bible where this same thing happens. Again, it happens again and again, where Jesus comes along and he sees this adulterous woman who had been dragged before crowds, and she is tormented by her guilt. And Jesus, at the end of the day, would set her free. Later, others would write about Jesus in the Bible, saying things about him such as this, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Another portion, still in the New Testament, it says this, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I want to be so clear on this. This is so important, what we're going to be talking about these next few weeks. And again, I'm just saying, and I'll probably say it again before we're done, you just can't miss. And we're just sort of this morning laying the foundation, the framework for where we're going. But I just want you to have a sense of hope when you think about your life and you're just saying, you know, I'm stuck in the place where I'm at. I'm seated in a seat that I really do not want to be in, but I I don't know how to get out. I don't know how I got here, and I don't know how I'm going to get out, and I don't like it, and it's frustrating, and what I thought was freedom is really not freedom at all. In fact, more and more, it feels like enslavement to me, but but I don't know what to do. And here's what I want you to know. Please hear me on this. There is hope for change. Change is going to happen in your life. Change is going to happen in my life. There's hope for your deliverance. There's hope for your healing. There's hope for your freedom. And together, we're going to grow in this series, and we're going to see God do things in our life personally and corporately as we learn from examining biblical truth that the beauty, and catch this now, please, you got to hear this, you got to catch this reality that the beauty of freedom, the power of freedom is not found in doing whatever we want, whenever we want, with whoever we want, but that real freedom comes from just following Jesus passionately, authentically. We think this is what I'm going to do in order to prove that I'm free, and then one day we find out that what we thought was freedom was really slavery. But Jesus said, you know what? I can truly set you free. And if I set you free, you're going to be free indeed. Authentic freedom, that sense of being unstuck, is that day-to-day life that God wants you to enjoy, but you can only experience, I can only experience if I legitimately, and you legitimately follow Jesus. Now, i got to do a timeout right here. And, and I've got to tell you that often to take a step in a positive direction means that you must first deal with a negative reality. And and I'm going to ask something of you that um, I think would be good for you to do. I want you to think deeply. And some of you are saying, you know what, you know, Pastor Jeff, I I did a lot of thinking Monday through Friday. Generally speaking, I don't want to do a lot of thinking on the weekend. But I want you to think deeply about something. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to do a, a reality check about your own life. I want you to do a gut check. I want you to look at your life and, and uh, just say, you know, here's the things in my life that God wants to change. Here's the things about me that I don't like and I, I know is not pleasing to God and I'm stuck in those things, but I don't intend on staying that. But, and again, I'm just saying before you and I can often initiate positive change with the help of God, 
we first have to define this negative reality. I want to explain that. You may be wondering when you look at your own life, why do I find myself? Have you ever thought about this? I'll ask the question and then ask you to raise your hand. Have you ever had this kind of question pop up in your mind, in your life? Why do I do what I don't want to do? I, I really don't want to do what I just did, but I did it nevertheless. Why do I do what I don't want to do? Anybody ever been there before? If you have, raise your hand, just lift it up. If you're not raising your hand, it's like, okay, you're doing what you should not do, and that's being dishonest. Why do I do what I don't? Have you ever had this thought? You know, I, um, I find myself drawn toward the very things that should not be a part of my life at all. And I don't like it, and I don't quite understand it. Why is that? Why do I again and again find myself being drawn toward things that I know should not be a part of my life? How about this one? Have you ever wondered this one? You've said to yourself something like this, I know that I love Jesus. I passionately love Jesus. My love for him is real. It's genuine. But if it's so real and so genuine, why do I so often ignore him or even worse, disobey him? And this certainly needs to be addressed. Why do we do this? You ever find yourself in that place where you're, maybe you've done something like this. You've done something that you really didn't want to do, and then you made this big promise to God, and you have said something like this, God, this is the last time. I'm kidding you not. This is the last time that I will ever do that again. And you kept your word for about 14 hours. And it's like, oh, here I go. I, I, I find myself doing what I don't want to do. I know I love Jesus, but why do I disobey him? Why do I disobey him? Why do I ignore him? And again, we need to address that. So let's go uh, together, Romans chapter 7. And you have to know that at first glance, these verses are not, I'm just telling you, not glowing with exhilaration. But if you will stay with me, you're going to see that this is actually the first step toward freedom. So you're going to see them up on the screen, Romans chapter 7, and we're going to get started at verse 15. So look very carefully. It gets a little wordy. It, it almost has the reading of a Dr. Seuss book, and you'll see what I mean. Um, this is Paul now, one who had been delivered powerfully from his own enslavement to his anger. Now, Jesus set him free, and he said, this is a point in his life where he's really struggling. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is, what's that word there? Sin. But it is sin living inside of me. He said, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. He said, for I have the desire to do what is good. And all of us can relate to that. I have the desire to do what is good. But then Paul says, this great church leader, he said, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And then he says, verse 20, look at it. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. And he comes back to this thought again. But it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, friends, all of us see that, and when we see it, we say, that's me. 
You, you just had on the screen my biography. That's, that's my life story. I've been there, done that. All of us feel that way. We candidly admit that this is true about us. So typically, because we, most of us, have a tendency to be activistic or solution-oriented, we say, all right, so here's the solution. I find myself doing it. All of us have done this. I find myself doing things I don't want to do and things that I know I should not do. I don't nearly find myself doing those kind of things often enough. So here's what we do. We get solution-oriented, and we say, so here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to try harder. And we just sort of knuckle down, and and we get a little more more tenacious, and we say, here's the problem. Obviously, I'm not trying hard enough, and this is all on me, so I'm just going to try harder. And then we dig in a little bit deeper, and we take it a step beyond that, and we say, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to devise a moral self-improvement plan. And in my plan, I'm going to do a lot more of this, and I'm going to do a lot less of that. And we theorize in that regard. It's a great theory. But often, it never becomes reality for our life. And we find, just like we're going to be talking about in this series, that we're still stuck. We still keep doing the things we say we don't want to do. And the things we say that we ought to be doing, we're not doing those. And again, it comes to that point where we're just saying, I'm seated in a chair I don't want to be at. I'm doing stuff I don't want to do. I don't like it. And maybe, again, as I mentioned earlier, you say, I don't even like myself. Because you feel that you have failed so many times before. I want you to listen very closely to what I'm going to say. Because I do not want you to miss this first step. And again, it's foundational. And each week, next week, we're going to talk about a second step to help us get unstuck. And then the week after that, the 24th, there's going to be something you, each week is going to build upon the previous week. So here's what I want you to be sure that you get. Get this first step, everybody. Be sure you get it. Put it on your phone. Put it on your tablet. Put it down somewhere. Here it is. I must admit that I am powerless over my desire to do wrong. Let me just say that again. Be sure you get it. I must admit that I am powerless over my desire to do wrong. That is, that is defining reality, and it's not easy. Again, but I'm telling you, sometimes before you can ever take, in fact, most often, before you can ever, ever take a positive step forward, what you've got to do is you've got to define a negative reality. You've got to look in the mirror And you have to do a gut check, a reality check, and just say, here is the truth about me. I must admit that I'm powerless over my desire to do wrong. Remember our verse from earlier when Jesus said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin? And we need to talk about that. We need to talk about it. Because Paul, and you saw it in Romans 7, he said, why do I keep, I know better. But why do I keep doing the very things I know I shouldn't do and the things I know I should do, I don't do them. I I know better. And, And then it's like a light comes on. He said, I know what it is. It is sin that is present in me. And here's the problem with sin. Please hear me on this. Once it's a part of your life or mine, the only position that it is content to hold is the position of being boss of our life. 
See, if you and I give room to any kind of sin whatsoever in our life, let me just tell you, it is not looking for some second, third, fourth tier, uh, you know, position or assignment in our life. Anytime we open our life up to sin, and all of us have done that, sin says, you know what? I'm moving in, and I'm not only moving in from this point forward, I'm going to be the boss of your life. Please catch this. Please, please catch this. Sin is basically this. Sin is saying that I'm choosing willingly to live my life independent of God. I'm choosing willingly to live my life independent of God. Sin's boss, and then you know what we start saying? We start saying, I'm boss. We're, we're not, we're not going to say it in that kind of way because we have the ability to control our words and make it more palatable. But the reality is, you know, we take on the notion and the attitude, hey, I'm boss. I'm going to do really what I want to do. In a book that I read not too long ago, Dallas Willard, he's a great writer about spiritual formation, and this is what he said. It's true. He said, we all have kingdoms, and the basic problem of our human condition is that our kingdoms have been junked up by sin. And sin, and that's what Paul's saying in Romans 7. Before you can take a positive step forward, you got to define a negative reality. And he said, here it is. I realize now. I've, I try to do it on my own. I try to work harder, try to do a lot more of this, a lot less of this. But the reality is, here's the problem in my life. It, it's sin. It's my sinful name, and it's becoming the boss of my life. You see, one of the greatest things that you and I could and should do is to accept this reality. Here it is, all right? Here it is. Here's the reality. There is a God, and it is not me. How many of you know that's true? How many of you believe that there is a God? Just, just live, there is a God, but how many of you are willing to acknowledge it is not you? But we don't often, uh, you know, say it that way, but we live it that way. And sin is this illusion that I can live my life independent of God. And quite honestly, friends, this is the answer to that massive and mystifying question that we're addressing today. Why do I do what I say I do not want to do? And why we do what we say we don't want to do, and again, let's all be clear on this, it is because our sin, our fallen nature, is propelled to put our own desires and our own ego on the throne of our life. And we say, okay, I know technically there is a God, but you know what? I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to guide my own life. And at times when God is really speaking to me with clarity, I'm going to ignore him at best and disobey him at worst. I know he's God, but for now, I'm going to play God with my own life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And in playing God, it becomes unveiled in a lot of different ways. It shows up in a lot of different forms. Sometimes it shows up in this way. You with me? Wave, wave your hand at me if you're with me. Maybe you didn't have your seventh cup of coffee or get a sugar high off of that donut, and I know it's dark in here, so wave at me so I know you're with All right, here's what I want you to understand. This is what we do. We say, all right, I know technically there's a God, but I'm going to play God for now in my life, and so this is what I'm going to do. And we do this. All of us have, have done this at some point in time. I'm, I know how I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to control people. We don't say we're controlling people, but we do. We control and we manipulate people. Why? Because we don't want anything to stand in the way of our will for our life. So if it means I've got to control people, 
I've got to manipulate people a little bit just to get what I really want. Oh, yeah, technically, I know that there's a God, but right now I'm, I'm playing God, and in order to get what I really want, I'm going to have to control people because nothing's going to get in the way of what I really want. And sometimes what we do is we say, well, you know, uh, I'm going to control the pain in my life. I'm going to manage that. And a lot of times we do. We say, you know what, I know that, uh, you know, I'm not doing what I want to do, and I'm not really proud of that, and I don't really like myself right now. And, and maybe we take in some intrusive pain that, that's going on in our life, and so we say, well, I know what I'm going to have to do. I, I can't live with this pain all the time. And so we learn how to, catch this now, we learn how to medicate our pain. And we do it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes people medicate their pain with alcohol. Sometimes they do it with achievement. Sometimes it's sex. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's an escapism. It's like I've got this pain in my life, and I need to manage it. And rather than do a reality check, rather than do a gut check, I'm just going to keep medicating the pain and hoping that it's going to go away. I know technically I'm not God. There is a God, but right now I'm playing God in my life. And a lot of times if we're not controlling people or managing our pain, you know what we try to do? We try to reduce our guilt. And we start trying to rationalize and deny and pretend and hide and, and justify. And after a while, listen, friends, listen carefully. After a while, this feels so normal. It feels so normal that we delude ourselves into believing there's nothing wrong at all. But then we find ourselves at a place where we say, you know what? I now am at a place in my life. There's a circumstance or a situation in my life that I cannot manage or control. And that seems like that's a horrible day, but I encourage you to take a different look at it and just say, you know what? If that happens, or it did happen, or it's about to happen in your life, that can serve from God as a wake-up call for you to come and define reality in your own life, even if it's not easy to define, and just say, I realize this about me, and I must admit it, that I am powerless in and of myself over my desire to do wrong. You know what Isaiah said, this great prophet? Back in the Old Testament, he said this, true of us. In fact, he used this language, all of us. He said, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And all of us have done that. God, I know that this is your path. I know that this is your plan. I know that you're God. But here's the path I'm going to take. I'm going to play God for a while. And we think it feels normal for a little while. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a crisis, a circumstance. And we just say, the reality is, the reality for my life is this. I cannot manage. I cannot control. And friends, when you and I lose the ability to manage or control, we will be forced to do something that maybe we have evaded time and time again, and that is to admit that we are powerless over our desire to do wrong. And that's what Paul's saying. I just keep doing what I don't want to do. I don't like it. I don't like who I am. I don't like what I do. But it's sin present within me. Now, in their book, how people grow. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend uh, speak of being, and they capture the notion of this, this notion of being powerless, and yet they say powerless and responsible. And, and they list three things, and we're going to hit them real briefly before we're done, and I'll just mention them. You can jot them down or, if you'd like. But here's the three things that Townsend and uh, Cloud mention in their book, How People Grow. 
Number one, this is what they say. We have a problem, and the problem is sin. Here's what I want you to do. Everybody, here's what I want you to do. Uh, quite possibly, the person you're seated next to you, you know, or maybe you just got acquainted with them, but, you know, this is not too invasive, so I think you'll be comfortable in doing this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn it to the person next to you and say that very thing. We have a problem, and the problem is sin. Would you look at them and just say it? Take a moment and just do it. We have a problem, and the problem is sin. Now, don't get too carried away with it. Listen, don't get too carried away and say, we have a problem, and the problem is sin, but your sin problem is much greater than my little tiny sin problem. We have a problem, and the problem is sin. Secondly, they said, we are responsible and accountable for our sin. See, Paul wasn't saying, you know, it's the sin, the sin nature that's going on in my life, and you know what? So be it. It's just the way I am. I'll just keep clicking along, doing what I'm doing. No. He had to take responsibility. He had to say, you know what? I'm responsible and accountable for my sin. Thirdly, this is Cloud and Townsend now. Thirdly, we cannot, it's this whole idea that we're talking about this morning, we cannot do anything about it. Again, we have a problem, and the problem is sin. We're responsible and accountable for our sin, but we cannot do anything in a fully significant or sufficient way about it. We cannot. But that's what we try to do. That's what you've been trying to do. Maybe you've looked at your life, and you've said, I'm stuck. I don't like who I am. don't like what I'm doing. I tell God. I promise God again and again. I'm never going to do it again. You know, I'm going to take his path rather than my path. I'm going to live my life as though he's God and not play God for a while in my life. And then we just keep falling back again and again into that same old trap. And then we just eventually we become fatalistic emotionally. And we just say, obviously, I'm stuck. And I can't do anything about it. My life is not going to change. It can never change. And that is a lie. Your life can change. Your life will change. But there's a step we need to take. And it is this. I've already mentioned it. I need to admit that I am powerless. But we don't end there. See, that, that becomes, if we just say, I am powerless over my desire to do wrong. If we just stop there, it's like, okay, where do we go from there? We're, we're inevitably stuck. We're permanently stuck. But that is not where we end it. I need to admit that I am powerless, but here's the step that we need to take. It's very important, and we're going to take off from this. Again, friends, do not miss next week. It goes right on from what we're talking about today. Here's what I need to do. I need to admit that I'm powerless over my desire to do wrong and, and, and that I need God. I need God because that's my answer. I need God because left to myself, I'm a mess. Left to myself, I will damage people in relationships. Left to myself, I will waste my one and only life. Left to myself, I will go to my grave as a miserable fraud. I am powerless, and I need God. Uh, there are some of the most encouraging words in all of the Bible you're going to see on the screen right now out of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says this. You see it there with me? If we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not being truthful. The truth is not in us. Is that what we say? If we say we have no sin? No, that's not honest. That's being untruthful. I love verse 9. But if instead we confess our sins, He will forgive us our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. So what do we do? Admit, look in the mirror, reality check, gut check. 
I am powerless in and of myself over my desire to do evil, to do wrong. It just keeps sucking me in. However, I need God. And God will help me. And God will change me. You remember what I told you? God sent Jesus into the world with this astonishing power to help people. He did it then. He's doing it now to help people get unstuck. He did it for Zacchaeus. You heard me say that. Nicodemus, woman caught in adultery. He did it for Saul of Tarsus. He did it again and again and again. And listen, friends, he's not finished. He'll do it in your life, and he'll do it in my life, and he specializes in that. And that's a good thing that's going to happen for the, us this year. God's going to help us get unstuck because we're going to see truth. We're going to see truth about ourselves. We're going to see truth from God's word and who he is and how he's going to help us. I am powerless and I need God. Let me give you a final thought. We're done. I not only need God, now that's primary, but I also need to seek help from other people. I need other people to help me. I need other people that I can be honest with. I need other people that can help me to do what I really want to do. A lot of times we're a little bit concerned about doing that because we're like, I don't know if I need, you know, revealing and talking and counting. I don't know if I really need to bring anybody into my struggle. I think I'll just try to, again, this is what our logic is. You know what? I'm just going to try harder, dig deeper, a lot more of this, a lot less of this, and I'm going to do it all on myself. I'm going to do it by myself, and that's a huge mistake. I've got a friend that for many, many years, he struggled with his weight. It was up and down. He'd lose weight, and then he'd gain it all back, and he'd lose it, and he'd gain it all back, and he's just fighting this never-ending battle on his own. Eventually, he got to the point. It was a situation that he could not manage or control, and he just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get some help. And he went to some, uh, a person, a reliable person, who was going to help to hold him accountable. And this is what the person, I never forgot him saying this, although it happened many, many years ago. The person looked at him lovingly but straightforwardly said, if you could do something about this by yourself, you have already done it. Obviously, you can't do it on your own, and you need help. And we said, first of all, we need God's help. But I encourage you to seek out the help from others. In fact, James said it this way. He said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And maybe you'll, maybe you'll do that. Maybe you'll do that this week. I hope you will. And I know how you feel. I feel the same way. Oh, man, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be too revealing. Have you ever had, and you know why we feel that way? Because we've all been burned. Haven't you ever been burned before? Say, have you ever told somebody, hey, I, I'm going to tell you this. It wasn't gossip or any of that. It was something about you. I'm going to tell you this, but I would like for you to keep it between you and me. And I said, of course. And they did. They kept it between you and me, me and them, and 43 other people. And so we get skittish on that. So I thought it was interesting what somebody said. I read this recently. Confess one small, safe-to-describe, real-life sin. And if you cannot think of a single sin that you have committed, make one up. Then you can confess to lying about that in your confession. But really, I'm powerless on my own, and I need God, and God wants to help me. And if I find some trusted people along the way, they will help me. Ten or 12 years ago, I pick up a a book, and I'll just read this one paragraph, and then we're going to pray. I love what this person said, and I resonated with it. He said, I don't learn much from people who have it all together, for no one has it all together. I learn best from people who admit that they're not okay, have the courage to face the specific areas in which they're not okay, and are working toward making it okay. 
Honest people never make it their aim to leave their listeners feeling, I wish I could be more like that person. Honest people want to ignite their listeners with this hope. If God can help that person, an authentic, flawed human being, then surely God can help me. And he can, and he will. And you're going to get unstuck. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Would you stand with me? We're out of time. Closing prayer. Would you bow your heads right there where you're at? Close your eyes. Nobody move. If you're here today and you just say, you know what? That's me, Jeff. That's me. I'm stuck. I am powerless. I keep saying I'm never going to do it. I'm finished. I'm done. But I just keep going back. I am powerless. I'm drawn back and back again and again. And I just need God. I need God to help me. If I could do it on my own, I would have done it, obviously, by now. I can't do it on my own. I need God. If that's you, just lift up your hand right where you're at. I see your hand, a bunch of your hands. Bunch of you lifted your hand. And thank you for your honesty. You can put it down. There are others of you that are in this theater that you'll just say, you know, for me, it's not really just asking God to help me in my life. I need God to save me. The help that I need is salvation. I need to be in right standing with God. I, I need to do what uh, I just saw on, those, on the screen a few moments ago, that I need to confess my sin. I need to confess my sin to God and know that, that God is faithful and that God will forgive me of my sin and God will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I need to be saved. I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to invite Christ into my life today. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm in right standing with God. So if that's you, you just lift your hand and say, Jeff, pray for me, man. Pray for me. I see your hand. And I see your hand. I do. And I see yours as well. Right back there. And right there where you're at, just pray in your heart and your mind. Dear Jesus, I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I can't change myself. Only you can change me. And I know that you will, and I know that you want to. Please forgive me of my sin. Make me a brand new person. Empower me. Help me. There's so much that I don't understand, but this is what I know. I need you. And if you'll receive me, which I know you will, I will serve you. I will follow you. I will be your disciple to my dying day. I receive you now. I receive the forgiveness of sin into my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we give Jesus one more hand clap of praise? I love you, everybody. Have a great week. Don't miss next Sunday. We pick up right here. Have a great week.